Hi, Ron here and welcome. We love that you've come to join us here and listen to a lot of our episodes. Please help us continue with this by supporting us through either joining the Barack Center at thebarackcenter.com or joining us at the Fringe Church at thefringechurch.com and sharing and donating through those sources. And once again, thank you for joining us today. Father, I just want to thank you for this opportunity to share what you put on my heart. I ask, Lord, that those who are hearing will hear you, not just me. Be strengthened in their faith and grow to be more of a brighter light wherever they are. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Um, we've actually got two groups watching this recording. One you don't see. They're not seeing you either. And I'll introduce you to each other, okay? First I'll start with those invisible people. They're in a selection committee and maybe even a church of about 150 plus or minus in Nepal. Nepal is a country of 30 million people between China and India, nestled in the Himalayas. It's a mostly Hindu-Buddhist country, but there is a growing Christian movement in the past 70 years. And although the church is largely indigenous with its own pastors, its own church groups, There are quite a number of Westerners who have gone there for various reasons. The church actually began from the British and American embassies. Personnel there wanted a place to worship in the Christian tradition. Since that time, many pastors, United Nations figures, charity workers, doctors, missionaries, linguists have gone to Nepal. And they're a special group. They're what is called expatriates. They leave behind their country, sometimes even their families. Often their language, culture, comforts. They go to a strange land to serve. Sometimes it's pretty dangerous. Nepal is known for severe earthquakes. There's a lot of political tension. They have a lot of social But they also have a lot of wonderful things there too. That's enough of that invisible audience. You now understand. Now, let me explain to you guys out there who I'm with right now. This is French Church. French Church is a unique church, just like your church is a unique church. People here, for the most part, don't really feel welcome in traditional church because of their background. Not totally, that's generally the case. There's a lot of history. In this particular church, you're free. You're free to be yourself. 
and it doesn't matter what you've done, how, it, it just, you're accepted. It's a beautiful thing. And I feel privileged to be a part of a group of people who are free to share their heart, and not just pretend to be something religious. Whether it's mental problems, criminal problems, sexual problems, everybody is welcome here. God, I like that. The fact of the matter is that God has given me a very long, serious testimony. And this is actually a special occasion. This is my 50th anniversary. 50th anniversary for what? Well, I'm going to give you, give you my age away here. When I was 14, 14 plus 50, can you work it out? When I was 14, I preached my first sermon of 1 Corinthians 13. Now, I want to preach again after 50 years. I said to the Lord, because I woke up in the middle of the night, what do I say? How do I prepare? And I got a strange answer. You know, sometimes the Lord can be very different in the way he sees things. The answer I got was anything you like. Anything you like. I mean, I went to seminary. I learned about all the theology and the history and how you dissect a passage and, and all of that. So, said in response, I'm supposed to come And then I got an answer, which humbled me. It makes me very responsible. It was this. I've been preparing you So I said, well, I can't squash 50 years down into one sermon. So I thought, well, I'll tell Because for most of those 50 years, I've been a teacher, not a pastor. I was as well. And I took as my example Jesus, who must be the best teacher of the world. He told stories. Stories that are repeated today all across the globe, and which you can tell again and again and, and never get bored with. And so the first story that came to my mind that I thought I would share with you about 1 Corinthians 13. 
First of all, we'll read the passage. It's a very famous passage. It's all about love. It's called the love chapter. It describes love as patient, love as kind, love as all these things. But if you look in the book of 1 John, which occurs in the New Testament further on, twice it says that God is love. In 1 John 4, 8 and 16. And so it's quite easy to substitute the word love for the word God. Love is patient. God is patient. Love is kind. God is kind. So when I read this passage to you, and I'll read it the way it's meant to be read, I want you to think of the fact that love is actually describing God. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging sound. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. Always trusts. Always hopes. Always perseveres. Love. Where there are prophecies, they will cease, and where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, that when completeness comes, what is in part is When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put the ways of childhood. For well, now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Verse 13, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. The greatest As a young Christian, I was very keen to absorb everything that belonged to Christianity. And I was very happy to. Even my dad, after he had a few drinks, had to admit that six months after I made this decision, I was a much happier boy. I'd been thinking about becoming a Christian for some time, seriously. I read as much as I could, I was a student, and I became familiar with this passage and I aspired to it, I wanted to love more. 
there was a young pastor at our church, and I took a real liking to him. He became a kind of a substitute father. And he took me up to the Mount Tambourine Easter Mission Convention. I had never seen so many Christians all together in one place, and I was really delighted. And I remember clearly the pastor asking me, where do you want to sit? I thought, well, sit down in the front. The whole front row was empty. So I sat as close as I possibly could to the front. I was so happy and so glad to have this privilege of listening to the best preachers in the world. But I was shocked. After the pianist, who magical on the keys, finished, the preacher started his sermon with one sentence that I will never forget. He said, and repeated in his sermon, and completed his sermon with this statement, the greatest commodity in the Christian life is faith. That sounded good, but that was not what the Bible said. I didn't know much about the Bible. I hadn't been to Bible college, but I had read that chapter, and I knew that verse. And he repeated the statement, the greatest commodity in the Christian life is faith. And then he went on and gave one verse after another, faith was this, faith was that. And I was stunned. And I whispered in the pastor's ear, and I said, he's wrong. And the pastor said, huh? How do you mean? And I said, 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Faith, hope, and love, but the greatest is love. I was sitting in front of maybe a thousand people. I didn't want to be too much of a disturbance. But this was pretty serious to me. He said, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. I'll arrange a meeting. You just speak to him afterwards, okay? Oh, okay. So the meeting was over, and I still remember the little room that we stood in. Pastor introduced me to this great man. I, I don't know. I can't remember his name. And uh, I asked my question. I said, You said that the greatest commodity in the Christian life is faith, right? He said, Yes. And then he spouted off a few more verses on faith. And then I said, But 1 Corinthians 13 13 says, these three remain, these three are eternal. Faith, hope, and love, but the greatest is love. What do you think his answer is? Well, he just went on and gave more verses on faith. The sermon just continued on and on, and after about five minutes, and I'm standing there, Pastor could see I, I wasn't getting an answer. You could see that this 
mission preacher wasn't going to change his mind. And so he said to me, have you heard enough, Paul? This was a very important lesson for me to learn early on in my Christian life. This was Because you see, I was in a church that deeply valued the Word of God. We were all supposed to bring our Bibles to church every week so that when the scripture was being read and we were sitting in the pews, we would be having our Bibles open to make sure that nothing was added and nothing was taken away from what was being said. We had to check to make sure that what was said was right. And this man could not admit to this little kid. I was just a beaming little kid. A bit of a rebel, I suppose, in those days. The next year or the year after I went up there again on my own and I had one or two other little disciples and I had pink overalls. <laughs> pink overalls? Well, it was the end of the Jesus movement and all those colors were still in and um, my dad was a house painter and he had a couple of spare pairs that fitted me and I tried to dye them red but it ended up pink. Well, that's good enough. Well, that's pretty cool. But inside, there was a very serious desire to make sure that I got this thing right. So from then on, I decided I wasn't going to deceive myself. I wasn't going to be deceived by others. And I was going to check it out. And I'll tell you the truth. I've been reading this book every day ever since. 25 years I've been reading it in Hebrew and Greek, Spanish as well. I love God's Word. God's Word is food to me. I would dry up like a prune if I stopped reading this stuff, seeing this stuff, listening to this stuff. It's, it's fuel to me. But I was young in the faith. I, I had no standing. I couldn't correct this man. All I could do was present what was true. But what was the message saying? The message was saying that the fundamental expression of Christianity was love. That was the proof. Of course, it's extremely important. But we've got to get things right. And we have to be humble enough to admit when we're wrong, when we are. No matter who we are. Absorbing, absorbing everything I possibly could in the church. I went to every meeting. <laughs> One time, I went to the girls' guide meeting. Anything, I just sat up the back. I was a sponge. I was taking in everything that God had to teach me. And I loved the church. But eventually, I came to a point where it was either scripture or the church. Two different matches. I ended up going to the scripture. 
very, very hot rendering Well, 50 years. What's the next story? Briefly, I, I became a teacher. God expanded my boundaries. I wanted to be a pastor. I eventually became a pastor. But God used most of my adult life being an international, educational, self-supporting missionary. In all different kinds of schools. Little kids, college, kids of different color, different ability. I guess you might say my church was the classroom. Or I tried to be. But to be current with you, I still have. Why am I saying this to you? Because you guys in Nepal are all leaders, professionals, experts, who have sacrificed a great deal to do what you do. And you might be asking me to lead you, to be a pastor of pastors? Well, that's a high call. You really need to know what you're going to say and why. God called you to that. Let me tell you the most recent experience of leadership. It's not with Pastor Ron, whom I love, it's with somebody else whose name will remain confidential. A church not far from here, a little school for students who were expelled. They needed basic skills, reading and writing, otherwise they might end up in jail. The government was paying churches and other organizations to have this more intense, sometimes even one-on-one, -on -one mini school, alternative school, for hurting kids before they fully enter into that world. And I thought, I'm trained for that. But I've had a problem because I'm so qualified and so experienced that I'm seen as somewhat of a, as a threat here, as an anomaly. I'm, I've done too much. Very often a principal just wants somebody who can be told what to do and just do it, rather than somebody who's done everything already. So, in my simple thinking, I would go to the church, become a friend of the church, and then let them know that I was interested in teaching them. So that's what I did. Just before Christmas, I walked into this church and they didn't know who I was. Never met me before. If anybody knows me, they know that I like to contribute. That's one thing that I really like about French Church. That I'm free to share what God puts on my heart. Because it's not just for me to have a big ego 
It's so that other brothers and sisters of Christ, whom I love, will be brought closer to the Lord. So for me to sit in a church, and, 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 and I've heard the sermon a hundred times before, and say nothing, is really hard. Fortunately, this little fellowship the testimony time. Oh, oh, good. I can say something. It was heading up for Christmas. Now, this is the second Christmas that I've been apart from my wife. That's tough for me. I think it's even tougher for her. So when I went in this church and they had a testimony time, I walked up to the front. And I shared with them, I said, look, you know, we're worshiping God. My heart is breaking because my wife is not. But it's Christmas. And you know, very soon, a lot of other families are going to be really good. Because the expectation at Christmas is you're supposed to be happy. And a lot of families are not. But I said this, there's something in my life that is deep. It's not just the love of my wife. It's the love of my wife. And I said, you know, there's a little chorus, a tune, that God gave me quite a long time ago from Isaiah 9-6, which verse you may know for unto us a child is born unto us a son is given and the government will be upon his shoulders and his name will be called wonderful, counselor mighty God, prince of peace everlasting and I said when I sing that little chorus it's the only tune nobody else has ever heard it before reminds me of the time on my honeymoon when maybe and I we were in St. John's Chapel which is right next door to the Dome of the Rock in Jerusalem it's a chapel that was built by the Crusaders centuries ago and it was specially built for acoustics you could walk in there and there would be a beautiful our Indonesian tour group went inside and, and we sang our song and I was gripped. It's like, wow, this is getting close to heaven here. And so they sang and I sang too. I sang Descant and, and I took off in this little chorus and they were all quiet. They could hear it. My wife was smart. She's quick on the phone. Quick on me. She recorded it. And I said, I'd like to sing it for you now. Would you like to sing it for me now? Would you? I don't have a guitar here. Would you like me to sing it for you now? Said, yeah? I'll sing it for you. No, 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 you can't sing it. You don't know the tune. <laughs> this is how it goes. For unto us 
a child is born, and unto us a son is given. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace. Everlasting Father So I was very moved I sat down and the people were moved too because they'd never even seen me and a street person stood up in the back and said that. <laughs> and then the lady who was leading walked over and said, well, we're not going to talk that. We're going to read the Bible. I was very happy that I had shared my heart with a whole new bunch of believers in Christ. And I asked the leader, can I visit with her? I'm interested in the position for a teacher in the school. And she arranged, and I went to see her, <coughs> spent half an hour together. One of the things that I said, I quoted from 1 Corinthians 14, 26, which carries on from 1 Corinthians 13. And it says, whenever you gather together, everyone must bring a word of instruction, tongue, interpretation, a revelation, a hymn. I said, that's very important. We talked about many other things. So when there was a testimony time, not a lot, but I put in my part. Well, this last week, we had a statewide, or sorry, a region-wide coronavirus lockdown in the middle of I got to the church early, but they were even earlier than that. And they all had masks on. And, uh, but the one who was leading the worship was allowed to have the mask off. Pretty hard to sing through a mask, but we did our singing. And halfway through the service, there was a hymn that was put up for us to sing. Sling. It's an old Irish hymn, Gaelic hymn, going back to the 6th century. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. 
Oh, I love that. Oh, I just pulled the strings back into me. I was born in Scotland and all those Gaelic tunes, whew, deep inside of me. So we sang two verses and then the, the lady leading the worship asked for somebody to read the third verse. It was all off on data projection. By then I was removed. And so I pulled down my mask and I sang the third verse. I gave it my best shot. It's like, no, oh, this is the one I love. I love my Lord. My mask When the service was over, I spoke with a man there and he said to me, Paul, thank you for once again inspiring us. And I was glad. And he shared with me the testimony of his life, how he had been out of work and then God had gotten through that and the others were watching the situation and it was a great story. I was glad that he had the courage to share it with me. And I went home. And then a few days later, I got an email. This is where it gets interesting. I can show you on my phone. I was told that if I wanted to continue worshiping at that church, that I was not allowed to contribute for the next two months. I was told that I was taking other people's away, their opportunity to contribute. And I was told that I was putting the church in trouble with the government because I pulled my mask out to sing the song. Now, when I looked at that, I honestly didn't realize. Maybe in my old, younger days, I might have. Maybe I might have gotten angry with these guys. Who did they think This is God we're worshiping. Don't you know what it says in Acts? That we must follow God, not men? Don't you know what Psalm 150 says? That you should praise the Lord with timbrels and dancing and everything else? It doesn't say, by the way, put your mask on if you coronaviruses around. Praise the Lord. It's a command all over the place. But I, I didn't have a reaction like that. It kind of surprised me in a way. It's like, okay, so after a while I came back to it and I asked the Lord, well, what do I do? It didn't look as though I was going to get the teaching position. That's the truth. But you know, the Lord is sneaky sometimes. It's a bad word to use, sneaky. Maybe when Jesus said you have to be as innocent as doves and as shrewd as snakes. He's speaking about the fact that God is a way of getting us to do things that we didn't anticipate. And when we're in it, like, ah, that's what God had in mind. But he didn't want to tell us straight because if he did, we wouldn't want to do it. So, the Lord began to explain to me 
what was going on in this leader's heart. I don't, I don't know her. But this is what I believe God said. She's been praying for revival for over 20 years. That's something to respect. But there are three reasons why the revival has not come. And the Lord explained it to me. And then I understood. Now I'm not going to tell you what they are, because it's none of your business. We all know how important it is to be confidential with people's secrets, right? So if God trusts me with a secret, I've got to keep my mouth shut. It's only between me and the person. And maybe not even between the person. Maybe I'm just supposed to pray. Or maybe I'm supposed to have some empathy and understand from God's viewpoint. You see, I've been upset with leaders for a large part of my life because I see the church stagnating, particularly in this country. And I don't want it to stagnate. I want the church to be alive. I want the lost to be saved. I want the heal, the healing to go to the sick people. I want the kingdom of God to be manifested. Everybody does who really loves God. And no doubt in Nepal, there's a lot of demons being cast out. Well, I hope so, because they've got plenty of demons there. So I don't mind getting involved in whatever needs to be done to present the gospel. Australia, everything is under a nominal blanket. Everything is under control. And I'm upset that the leaders are not bonding together, loving one another, sacrificially, fasting and praying until the breakthrough comes. It upsets me. But I have to keep it secret because I'm just a nut. Sit down in the corner, don't say anything. So, after the Lord explained this to me, I said, well, what do I do now? <laughs> I don't care if you're the Pope or the Queen. If you're led by God, you listen to directions. You don't think you know all the rules and do whatever you want to do. You're led by God. Romans 8.14 is very clear. Those who are the sons of God are led by God. So, I could get up there and start arguing. I'll be honest with you, I was a debating champion. Uh, yeah. But that's not going to achieve what God wants to do in this particular instance. What does He want to do? The Lord said, do nothing for you. Okay. This is the third day. She probably thinks, ah, I've gotten rid of this guy. It's not over. See, I wasn't meant to teach in that school. I was meant to minister to this leader. And if the Lord had told me, go to that church and minister to that leader, I would have said, you must be kidding. I don't know who she is. How is she ever going to know me? But the Lord has engaged us now. She's worried about me. And I know what's going on. So, what will happen tomorrow? What will I do? The Lord told me again something strange. 
It's, Lord is so smart. He is so smart. And when I listen and I understand, sometimes people think I'm smart. I'm not smart, it's just listening. The Lord said, tease her. Tease her? What do you mean, tease her? Ask her these questions. Wouldn't you like to have your church be the eyes and ears of all the other leaders in your denomination? Wouldn't you like to know why the revival is not coming? Wouldn't you like to have a simple, beautiful, healing miracle right in the middle of your service to touch and bless and motivate and energize everyone? Well, I think most pastors would say yes. I don't know what the response will be. I haven't sent the email yet. Maybe, eventually, this message that you're hearing right now will be sent to me. I don't know. But I do know this. That 1 Corinthians 13 is a message. Not a message of condemnation. Romans 8, 1 is very clear. There is no condemnation in Christ. If I think my problems with leadership are bad, they're really nothing compared to Jesus' problems with leadership. In Matthew 23, after years of being badgered and provoked, criticized, condemned, Jesus lets go. At one point he's used a whip on them, but he gets into this prophetic rampage. And he lets loose. And he says, you sons of hell, you hypocrites, hypocritize, hypocritize, you, you brood of vipers, you whitewashed bones. He doesn't muck around. I'm sure he didn't influence friends. And you might say, oh, well, you know, that's righteous indignation. He was the son of God and indignation. He, he, he could do what he could do and maybe we can do it too. But you have to understand the whole passage. See, at the end of chapter 23 in Matthew, Jesus says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I wanted to gather you like a mother hen gathers her children. see behind this direct prophetic series of statements is a loving heart. And then when the disciples are mesmerized by the beautiful buildings, Jesus says, the temple is going to be torn down. There's not going to be one stone left on the earth. And then he explains, but the end time 
much of which was fulfilled 37 years later when the Romans came in and destroyed Jerusalem. I need to have an attitude that says, yes, you've got a problem. Yes, you're a control freak. People in this congregation don't like you, but they'll never tell you that. Yes, your son has obviously got huge problems in his life. How did that happen? Yes, you've done things in your life that nobody knows about, but God knows about it, and boy, they're pretty bad. And you can't cover it with religious control. I said that. I hope I don't have to. Some people won't even let you get They're so well defended. You know, I like fringe because your issues are out there on your sleeve. But there are so many religious power brokers and their issues hidden behind this wall of, of super spiritual gains. Jesus couldn't crack them. Even Jesus couldn't do it. Punishment came. But one of the good things that we do note about in Acts is that many of the priests there was a breakthrough before the destruction of Jerusalem. Why am I telling you this story? Because I'm going to be dealing with leaders and I need to have an attitude of love, not condemnation. There was no way that I could love that man way back 50 years ago. I never know, never knew what he did after that, went to some other convention, kept on going, giving his faith message. That's, he's in heaven now, and I'm sure he's, it's a different story. But the point is this, if I'm going to preach about 1 Corinthians 13, I need to practice it. And I need to practice it with the people who have been And when Jesus was hanging on that cross, he couldn't say anymore, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Because his hands were stuck to the cross, nailed there. And his back, which was raw, was going up and down that splintered cross. And he was experiencing the worst kind of pain you can imagine constantly. And in the spirit world, all these demonic beings were throwing all this rubbish, leering, jeering, cursing him. And even in the midst of that extreme pain, and he's hanging naked before the whole world, what does he say? Does he say, okay, Lord, send in the legions. Deal with these guys. They deserve it. No. He says, forgive them, Father. They're ignorant. They don't get it. You can't have that level of forgiveness. You can't, and I can't. It's impossible. 
Only Jesus can have that level of forgiveness. But when you identify with the cross, when you invite Jesus of the cross into your life and decide to follow him regardless for the rest of your life, then you align yourself with the most powerful forgiveness in the universe. And you're able to let go others. I have a secret sin which people don't see. It's resentment. Over and over in my mind, when people have hurt me, it's hard for me to let go. So I'm preaching to myself. I need to let go of the spiritual leaders who have hurt me and they can walk. I don't want to bore you with them. But I'll say that there are three. Don McGregor, Dr. Paul Welter, Dr. John McIntosh, no relative, that put into my life words and approval, which I will never forget and I will always be thankful for. I don't know what your story is regarding spiritual abuse. We've all been abused in one way or another. Very often by the people who are closest to us. But I know one thing. That I'm thankful that God allowed me to preach when I was 14. And I'm thankful that I'm still preaching it 50 years later. And I'll preach it in Nepal, and I'll preach it in Europe, and I'll preach it anywhere until I go home. And I've already thought of my last words, you know, because I really want to go home. I mean, to heaven. That's why the Lord's going to give me this long life. I've thought of my last words. Have you thought of yours? Mm -hmm. What are yours? Geronimo. Geronimo. <laughs> That's a pretty good one. Anybody got anything else you're thinking of? It's kind of a bit ghoulish, isn't it? I've thought of my last two words. At last. At last. And the love that I've been talking about and trying to live out and trying to put into practice, I will experience to such an extent that I will never want to come back here. I won't be hanging on to my life. I'll be glad it's over. And I'll be absorbing and enjoying His incredible love eternally. It's hard to imagine. The, the picture in Revelation is there. You worship God, you're overwhelmed, and you fall down. There's so much love. And then God lifts you up again and you worship God and you fall down. And you think, you're going to do that forever? Stand up, fall down, stand up, fall down? Stupid in our thinking. When you leave out the incredible, overwhelming, amazing impact of the radiance and glory of God, we see such a glimpse, such a small amount. Well, I've shared my testimony in two stories. One from 
50 years ago and one from a couple of days ago. Let me pray. Father God, I want to thank you that you touched that little boy a long time ago. And you put in my heart a desire for you, which has never gone away. I want to thank you, Lord, that you've taken me through mountain and valley all over the world. I want to thank you that you're just as real now as you were back then. In fact, more so. I want to thank you that the word of God is strong. That heaven and earth will pass away, but your words will never pass away. I want to thank you that your agape has touched my life. And I ask, Lord, that you help me to keep being a channel of blessing for others. I can't do it on my own. I have to have you to help me. And Lord, when I see the leaders of the people playing stupid games, holding back the kingdom of God from others, I get very upset. But of course, it's nothing compared to how you feel about it. Lord, whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to go, I'm your servant. I'm your servant. And I never want to forget that. Because I know how fantastic you are and how all of us... When we compare ourselves with each other, we're so far away from what the real spiritual dynamic is of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We're nothing like Even Donald Trump is nothing like Lord, help us now to hear what it is that you want us to do this week. What do you want us to say? Who do you want us to spend time with? Who do you want us to touch? We pray for your confident spirit giving us the wisdom to be in the right place at the right time. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to another episode. And please, don't forget to sign up to the thebarackcenter.com or thefringechurch.com and help support us so we can reach many more. Thank you again for joining us today. <laughs>